Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... This episode of the Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Picture Book Summit. Do you dream of creating picture books that'll change a child's life? I sure hope so. Learn how to find your voice at Picture Book Summit, a world-class online conference for picture book authors and illustrators. Join them on Saturday, October 3rd, 2020, for keynotes from their award-winning best-selling lineup, including author-illustrator Sophie Blackall, author Lisa Klein-Ransom, and author-illustrator Peter H. Reynolds. Don't delay. Deadline to register is September 30th. Go to picturebooksummit.com slash winner. Like, I did a, a camp, a uh, summer camp with kids, and I, like, talked about my book, and I was only there for half an hour, and they were so excited, and then there was, like, four kids talking to me at one time and I like know that how I treat each one of them matters yes. so I'm trying to make eye contact and like they're all talking over each other and I don't want to say like um you stop talking so I can listen to this one and I have to like say oh can you wait and like oh my god it's overwhelming like I I don't want to ruin this relationship with these kids I don't know how you do it see but that tells me already how much you honor them to walk into a space that you'll only inhabit for maybe 30 minutes and never see them again you still have that value of 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 recognizing them and seeing them in that place and trying to hold space for them to be excited and to interrupt but still to honor each individual that's that's really important and it's not a quality that that everyone has this is the children's book podcast episode number 627 i am your host matthew winner we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner if you want to support the show. Today I'm joined by Frank Murphy and Kayla Heron. With the release of A Girl Like You, the sequel to A Boy Like You, co-authored with his wife Carla Murphy, Frank affirms why the world needs every kind of kid. Sensitive, outgoing, smart, brave, caring, energetic, creative, and whatever other words might come to mind as you think of the kids in your life. The first book was written in response to Frank's observation of all the problems going on in the world and to how the media continued to blame those problems most often on guns and on boys. We talk a lot about addressing toxic masculinity, but not all masculinity is toxic. As Frank shares, quote, there are great ways to be a man. 
Under the talented hand of Kayla Heron's pencil and brush strokes, boys from all kinds of families, neighborhoods, interests, and skin tones are seen and loved and valued on the page. The same care and respect was taken in centering girls for the sequel, A Girl Like You. Only now, Frank invited in another voice to help tell the story, and one that could help reflect the experience and identity of the book's focus. What resulted was another beautiful marriage of words and art that affirm the reader and remind each child of their agency in the world. Please welcome my guests, Frank Murphy and Kayla Heron, author and illustrator of A Girl Like You and A Boy Like You. Hi, I'm Frank Murphy. I am, my pronouns are he and him and his, I guess. And um, I am a teacher first. I've been teaching elementary school for 20, this will be my 28th year. And I'm also the author of Easy Readers and Picture Books. Hi, my name is Kayla Heron. I use the pronouns she and her. I'm a children's book illustrator. Some of the books I've illustrated are The Boy Who Grew a Forest and the Like You series with Frank Murphy. Uh, the first two are A Boy Like You and A Girl Like You. Welcome, Frank. Welcome, Kayla. I'm so glad to have you on the show. Frank, you and I have been talking forever, and it's an yeah. honor to get to talk on record with you both today. Thank you, man. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we're, so, we're pumped. Kayla and I are really excited because we're fans of yours uh, and this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I listen to your podcast all the time while I'm drawing and working on books. Oh, that's so cool to know that that that, that some of the the folks that that I've spoken with those conversations might just have been in your subconscious while you were making the things that you make and share with all of us. That's that's very uh very circular, very cool that that happens. Truly, it's super weird doing this right now and hearing your voice talking directed at me. Because I've like the books that we're talking about today, a boy like you and a girl like you. I was listening to you while I made them. Wow. Well, I'm humbled to know that, uh, Frank. When we first met back in New Jersey at an SCBWI conference, I believe a boy like you had not quite come out yet, but you were you were like preparing for the release. Is that possible? You're, you're, right? almost, you're almost spot on. I don't think you totally remember. And, um, I actually had you uh, be an editor for me for a manuscript I wrote that was really a predecessor to A Boy Like You, if oh, you remember. I remember and, a it, critique thing, but yes. I don't remember specifically what, what that piece was. I just remember a wonderful conversation with you, which I'm sure we'll come back to in this conversation about own voices and about respecting yeah. who is centered in your story. Yeah, absolutely. Right. That, that story was really just, I, I, it, I think a lot of times this happens often for me, the stories that don't get published are the sort of the predecessors that end up becoming and evolving into the story that works. So I had written this story and you gave me really great feedback on it and it was just off. Um, I don't want to go into too much about what it was about, but, um, the whole gist of it was when you it's about the whole label kind of thing like so like what are you if you remember like so when someone will come up to someone who may a new kid comes to the school maybe and they have brown skin and the kids would have the white kids in the class may say well what are you 
And that's not the way you approach someone. That's not the, the right way to ask. It's really about what's your story and what's your background and where are your ancestors from. And that's really what the story was getting at. And you helped guide me a lot. So and so I, I think I wrote a book. Now that I'm thinking, you, you talked about how long ago it was. It had to be that you and I probably met in New Jersey in 2016 or possibly 17, I think. Um, and then I wrote A Boy Like You in the winter of 2018. That's how I have that gauge by wow. knowing that I wrote it in 2018. So you actually helped it because it was, they're not exactly connected, but some of the messages were, were similar. Well, these stories that you both have brought into the world, A Boy Like You and then most recently A Girl Like You, are uh, wonderfully uh, empowering. I don't quite know the way to say it, but it, it feels like you really see children for who they are. And I know that that might come from being a teacher, but I also know that, that for both of you in the way you each are seeing all the children that are that are included in your books, there's a great deal of compassion there, of of saving space for who the child is and not making it a book about how they may be different from the person standing beside them, but rather really allowing it to be introspective and, and really life-giving and strength-giving. Thank you. I love that. You really unpacked it well. I um, would love to, if you don't mind, speaking of unpacking, I'd love to read some of A Boy Like You to give folks a sense of what I mean. Would that be all right? That's great. Thank you. And then, Caleb, be prepared, because as Frank and I attempt to say, attempt to describe your art, I, I feel like I'm going to be blushing quite a bit just trying to communicate <laughs> <laughs> the great, great things <laughs> that I see, so I, there will be a fair amount of stumbling over words. But for now, I can just read these words. Oh, good. Easier. That's my specialty. <laughs> oh, good. We can stumble <laughs> together. So, um, A Boy <laughs> Like You begins this way. There are billions and billions and billions of people in the world, but you are the only you there is. And the world needs a boy like you. The world needs a boy to be kind and helpful, to be smart and strong. Maybe your strong is making sure everyone has a chance to play. Maybe your smart is knowing the precisely right, perfect pass to make. Oh boy, be you. The you that makes you feel most alive. Play hard, but play fair. Be a great teammate. Say, nice goal and good try. Don't say... You throw like a girl, ever. And remember, there's so much more than sports. There are vegetable gardens to grow and flowers to give. There are cakes to bake and eat, too. There are instruments to play and songs to sing. There are stories to read and stories to write. There are science experiments to do and math problems to solve. Oh, boy, be curious. And I'll stop there because you bring to us in the structure of this uh, of this text different adjectives that carry us further into the the, the story, if you will, um, the, the affirmation. I feel like your book is less of a story and more of an affirmation. But um, I, I admire, Frank, the way that the way that it feels to me like you 
persistently crafted this manuscript, and you'll tell me, but it feels like you persistently crafted this manuscript in order to see every single child, that there couldn't be a single child reading this book that feels like, yeah, well, they didn't talk about me. And why I say it that way is because you and I both come from the classroom, and I have had all sorts of children in all of my 16 years and many schools. I've always had kids in the class that I feel like perhaps they've been put to the margins for whatever reason, whether it's that they don't participate enough, or they celebrate this holiday, or they look this way, or they dress that way. It doesn't matter. Or teachers make these assumptions about this kid. Whatever it is, I feel like there's there tends to be a child who is almost defying you to see them. No one else ever sees me. I dare you to see me. And I feel like that, to me, has been at the heart of of my calling in teaching, is recognizing that I was that kid, and now it's important that I see those kids and that I center them as best I can. But for you to be doing that in your work, Frank, in your text, in how it it appears in A Boy Like You, is one that comes across to me as as taking a lot of care and a lot of love, and I really appreciate that. I, I have chills from what you're saying. First of all, the way you read the book was great. I didn't want you to stop. <laughs> you were awesome. <laughs> I nearly um, didn't. Clearly <laughs> a librarian who captivates kids. I, I really want to come to your school. I've talked to you about it before. I just want to come to your school, and I'd love for Kayla and I to do a author visit at your school well um, but when whenever as of recording yeah, this yeah, frank for sure we're I gonna have to come out of now. right we're gonna have to come out of some yeah. hard spots for for any of us to be able to see children again but there are that's not to say of course that there's there's not opportunity to connect yeah with children right yeah Agreed. sorry i cut I'll, you off though go ahead no, no no i'll speak to what you were what you were getting at um i'll tell you the genesis of this i wrote it in 2018 and if we all would love to forget this but in that winter of 2018. And, I, and I, like I said, I had this story sort of brewing in my mind. And again, you know, you eloquently really just sort of described it. It's not, my words aren't really the story. Sorry if you hear my dogs in the background. Um, <laughs> but I have two little dogs, Jumper and Callie. But, um, and Kayla has great dogs too. So um, the winter of 2018, um, there were so many school shootings that winter, more than any other winter, I think still one's too many right but um and you know the thing that i kept seeing that everyone kept seeing i think was besides a gun the other pervasive thread was that it was always a boy um that was one thing and there was a convergence of that with two other things there were so many great books coming out to empower girls and there have been i love that um it's how i really got my start if we ever get to that i'll talk about how i got started writing but um the other thing was having boys like you described matthew in my class who when they would go out to recess, they felt marginalized or undervalued. And because sports is so, excuse me, recess is so dominated by sports and there's so much more to it than that. And so I, I often found myself going out to recess and sitting on a bench with a kid who was just so immersed in Pokemon, for example, mm, I'm thinking yeah. of this one boy and I would sit next to him like, I have no Pokemon game. Right. But this kid was a library. He's like, well, I'll take my book and quiz me and I'll, and I'll show off to you. And that, you know what? It paid off with that kid because I would spend that time with him. Sure. I would go play steady quarterback playing football with some of the other boys too and girls. But, um, 
those three things sort of all happened. I'm like, I've got to write a book to help boys. And I had no intention of this turning into a series at all or possibly even doing a girl like you. Um, I didn't think I was best suited to write a girl like you. But um, that's really why I wrote A Boy Like You for all the things you said. You were right on so many different levels. Just seeing the boys who maybe didn't felt feel like they were being seen or they actually weren't being seen at home too. I mean, I, I coached for years too. I coached basketball and I just saw the way that um, the sort of the labels and the definitions you put and the, I hate, I don't love the term toxic masculinity, but masculinity can so often be toxic in our world. And that's why I wrote this book. You also have just to call it out and to, hopefully uh, sort of naturally transition directly to your choices in the work, Kayla. You have a, a the, the main child we seem to follow throughout this book in particular is uh, an African-American boy or a, a, a brown-skinned boy. And, and I am reminded of not just reading statistics, but also of working with children and knowing that society tends to age up our black boys and treat treat boys prosecute boys criminalize boys as if they are adults and so to me the the profound title choice of saying a boy like you and to continue to phrase your words around boy boy to remind us of a of to, to remind adults when i say us reading that these are young children um, or regardless, they are children um, was, I'm getting teary, was really affecting. And Kayla, I want to talk to you about your choices of how you saw, well, in this first book, how you saw the boys who, who visited your, your sketchbook or your pages and how you chose to tell this story through your art. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so I was super drawn to this manuscript because at the time, like as Frank was saying, there was a whole movement of um, men being the problem and using the word toxic masculinity as if all masculinity is toxic, which isn't the case. Like masculinity itself isn't toxic. There are great ways to be a man. And I immediately read this manuscript and I thought of my brother and my husband, Peter, who are like my favorite people in the world. And they're both straight white men and they're amazingly sensitive and caring and empathetic. And I thought, you know, this book needs to be targeted to the families that don't give their boys those messages. Like it's a book for all people. I mean, a lot of people, when they read this book, they said, Oh, why is it a boy like you? Why, why not a child like you? And I thought like, yes, it applies to all children for sure, but there are boys specifically in the families of boys who are raising their boys as boys and boys only that boys and girls are two completely separate things and they can't um, show emotions that they, they must play with trucks and wear blue and they can't be sensitive. And in this book, I thought like, Oh, I need to just draw in those families where, where I thought, you know, on the cover of a boy like you, do I show like the whole spectrum of gender? And, you know, there's a lot of like back and forth of, do I just have a main character or do I show like all boys? But I thought focusing on one boy that looks outwardly presenting as a boy to draw in those families 
that wouldn't give their child the message that they can be gentle and empathetic. And it's crazy when I, when I read this book to kids so many times, when I get to the page that says, and boys, uh, like it's okay to cry because men cry too. I get a lot of skeptical, like, wait a minute, are you serious? So I thought this was like a, a great way to transition to those families that like we can suggest that, you know, Hey, like maybe your, your boys, can be many different things and there's many wonderful ways to be a boy they can cook and bake and they can cry yeah the the, the text on that spread <clears throat> frank i am going to read this entire book oh no the text on that spread it. reads <laughs> if, Do you're it up, man. <laughs> if you're not ready to be brave ask for help this shows you're smart sometimes you may feel like crying cry this shows you're strong One day you'll be a man, and men cry too. Hey there, book nerds. You know what's even better than hearing bookmakers share stories of how their ideas became the stories you love? Having those stories in your home, your classroom, your library, or your life to be enjoyed over and over. Bookshop.org allows you to purchase your favorite books from the show and support local bookstores while doing it. I even maintain lists of all the books shared each season, so it's easy to find what you're looking for. Visit MatthewCWinner.com and click on Shop, or use the link in the show notes to find your next favorite story. The... Um, as you're saying in the, the choices you're making, Kayla, to have this text say or, or, or make space for that child that if, if you're unsure, if you feel like you're weak or you feel like you're whatever, just to say, that's okay. But also know that I might see it a different way. You might see it as a weakness, but I might see it as strong. And, and all of the calls into adulthood that that really speak to you child are our our most precious investment and we adults have a responsibility to be investing in you for that man you will become that adult that you will become i think is beautiful and i also want to say the the value of honing in on a boy like you and speaking through a lens of, of focusing on masculinity and then in a girl like you about femininity, I think allows then the space for you to explore or to not and to leave it for other people, but to have, you know, that sort of third story of a child like you of children exploring gender and knowing that, you know, gender is a construct and both of these books are about how much of our society has constructed gender in a very specific way and let's undo that. So to take that even further and to show you don't have, and I'm grateful for this, you don't have throughout this A Boy Like You book showing like, but look, boys do feminine things too and look at this, a girl like you does masculine things. You don't go there and I'm grateful for that because when books do go there 
I feel like we tend to get to very cringy places um, that that sort of by calling out that stereotype, we are reinforcing it. If that makes sense, it seems contradictory, but I hope that makes sense. Yeah, totally. That you have to say you can like like making it seem weird even that like oh you are a boy but you can do a girl thing too like maybe let's just get rid of all of that and say like you are a child and you can do things but yeah like just calling out that like yeah it is like in the past it was weird for this to happen and maybe like associating any shame with it right yeah i think that it takes an incredible amount of love to make the space that you both do in these books and i'm I'm grateful. I'm also like super grateful, Kayla, that you give us this this cover in each of these books that to me looks exactly like a class photo. And that might be because of the schools that I've taught. It might be because of the way the kids are sort of in rows with the one in the front and and looking at the camera all in different ways as they would. But I'm grateful, Kayla, for you to show for you to show all of these girls and all of these boys with a title that says singular, a girl like you or a boy like you. But, but we are seeing these children amid a large cast of children. And I think that there's something really beautiful about the way the title and cover illustration balance each other out in that way. Wow. That's, such a beautiful way to say that (laughs) thank you um yeah I still get stressed out because there are just so many different um details about people that make them unique and special that I wish I could include details of every single kid like I want every kid to look at this cover and say oh that's me or oh look that's my friend and I know that that can't happen because like everyone is so unique in so many different ways but I hope that they at least see this crowd of kids and feel like I belong in that crowd of kids I am grateful for you to say it that way, just to feel like I belong. Frank, I would love to hear, what is the story you teased about coming into writing in particular? Is that what you said? Oh, you mean with you? You mean with, our, with, the, with the manuscript you and I looked at? No, what did you just say uh, earlier? You said about the story about why you started writing for children, I think. Oh, okay. So yeah, uh, I've been teaching what almost uh, 28 years now. I um I was teaching second grade in the man in the late 80s, I think it was the early 90s, and um there were so many books about men, and I love history. There were so many books about men in history, mostly white men, right? And um so I started trying to just write my own books to make history more fun first and foremost, but then also to write about women in history is so not so much, well, little girls could see that, you know, there were really strong women in history, but so probably even more importantly, little boys could see there were strong girls and women in history. So I would just get the little bear books. If you remember those, I think they still make them sure. um, they're blank books. Um, and I would just write stories. I'd research and write stories about George Washington and Martha Washington and um, a girl named Vinnie Ream, who was the first female and youngest person to do a, a government commission statue of Abraham Lincoln up to president. And it's her statue still in the rotunda in the U S Capitol. It's, but it's Vinnie Ream. People think it's a man, but she was a 17 year old girl who, who, who sculpted Lincoln from, from life. Um, so I would do these books and just put them on my 
you know, in my classroom library where I thought there was a void. And then I just started trying to get published. So it took me about six years of rejections and, you know, trying to get better and going to workshops, going to SCBWI events. And um, my first contract was for Ben Franklin and the Magic Squares, which is a random house step in the reading. And then um, it, it coincided. I also read right around the same time. I can't remember at all. I, I got a contract for The Legend of the Teddy Bear, which is a picture book about how the teddy bear got its name and the origins from Teddy Roosevelt. And that was published by Sleeping Bear Press, who publishes these Like You books. So um, I forget which came out first. I think Teddy Bear did. But um, it took me years, though, Matthew, to finally get a book about a girl published. I have a book about Clara Barton, which is a step into reading from Random House. Uh, that was my first book. Um, so it was really writing about women in history and, and trying to make history more fun um, and trying to find some of the marginalized people in history. But back then, there weren't as many books about girls being published and women in, in history being published. The landscape's completely different now, which was actually ended up making me write A Boy Like You too, right? Because there were so many great books coming out about women in history and about empowering girls. So it sort of came full circle and helped me arrive at this A Boy Like You. I think we're it's taken publishing, it's taken reading, readers, a long time to get to a place of of valuing the quiet child, the sensitive child. I think that yeah. I, I, my brain wants to go to toxic masculinity and that sort of big overarching concept. But so much, I think, about just the way we in society, um, the way for a time we really wanted our kids to be. Um, whether yeah. that was uh, obedient or, uh, you know, active participating in class or this or that or whatever, we really didn't have much space or welcoming for uh, neurodiversity, for um, just uh, identity diversity, for personality diversity. We didn't really have much space for that. It did feel like we were sort of trying to systematize children to all be the, the same way, or if not, you are bad. <laughs> You're so right, Matthew. You're so, I think about when I first started, and I remember reading different books. When you said quiet, it made me think of Susan Cain's book, Quiet. And yeah, other, yep. I read a book called Raising Boys, which is great. Um, it actually helped me with this book. And just how, like, boys, for example, can often be, they just show emotion differently and show affection differently. So what do they do? They wrestle and they, they arm wrestle and they tackle each other. And that's that's not really conducive for school classrooms, right, or libraries. But they're like, and and then the book compared them to like lion cubs. They're like lion cubs in the way they show affection. So I, I think I was fortunate enough to read and a lot of great books as sort of mentor texts for my teaching, and have colleagues who are great mentors to teach me that about neurodiversity and the different ways that kids learn. Like I've had kids who just want to stand up the whole time; they don't want to sit at their desk. I'm like, that's cool. I wasn't like that early on because I had administrators too, possibly who were like, why is that kid standing up? You know, you're, you're, you're so right about the way we, you know, our systems in schools aren't always maybe even the best places for all kinds of kids, but a lot of times boys. If we pin behavior problems, quote unquote, on boys a lot, I think it's, it's, and Kayla, you can speak much more to this, but I think that, we have made a bad habit out of pinning um, dress and beauty and, and style on girls, that that's a thing that all women are supposed to care about. And that starts very, very young. Um, and, and you touch on that in a girl like you, uh, the text reads, I mean, you, 
the the text reads very similarly in voice to a boy like you, but in this case, the the my favorite um, stanza, if you will, goes. Embrace and care for the body you are in. Your unique traits are what make you especially beautiful, and especially you. What matters most is the beauty your actions and words bring to the world. People will remember these, and you should too. Radiant girl, stand tall. Wear what feels right, silly socks or panda ears, sparkly shoes or polka dot pants, a peace sign, a flag, a flower, a rainbow. Wear your hair up or wear your hair down, pigtails or ponytails all the way out, covered or all the way gone. Your clothes and hair help you express yourself. So whatever you wear, wear it for you. Frank, talk to me about writing this book with your wife, with Carla. I have chills again, man. <laughs> so I'll tell you right now, she's sitting in the other room and she's a pediatric nurse. Um, and she's on the phone right now doing healthcare, telecare. Um, so as you read this, I, so this is the first book I ever co-authored. And every book in the series from here on out, I'm always going to invite someone who brings a different dimension of diversity to the table with the writing of the book. So at first, I didn't even want to write A Girl Like You. Then I thought, you know what? I need to write this book. And I, I've got to have Carla write it with me because she's the mom of Haley, an 18-year-old daughter. She's my stepdaughter. She's going off to college next year to study special ed, by the way, special education. Um, but I, I knew I needed her help because I don't have any experience being a girl, right? So, um, And as you read this, Matthew, I can tell you exactly. Sometimes there's a convergence of, of we crafted lines together, but some of it is she just wrote it on her own and she merged it with mine. So I actually had written... Um, what matters most is the beauty your actions and words bring to the world. People remember these and you should too. She sort of set that up with, she wrote these lines, embrace and care for the body you are in, your unique traits or what make you especially beautiful mm. and especially you. And as it goes on, I, I, you went to the next thing. I ha always, when I first started writing this book, I thought I, we need to have a page where it shows three girls, a girl with no hair for whatever that reason is. It could be that they're, going through some kind of sickness or they just wanted to shave their head um and then um all the way out like an afro maybe and then covered with a hijab so i always envision that that illustration just having three girls but kayla just masterfully included all these girls and everyone loves this page so much this picture which shows you can't i guess people can't see it but it shows all these girls um about eight of them at a looks what looks like a sleepover which i never had a sleepover so more, more skills i didn't have so i needed the help but um yeah, so Carla is the reason why this book is so fabulous, along with um, with Kayla. I have to tell you, too, you know, you said it right. These are, uh, this isn't a story that we write or I wrote with a boy like you. Kayla really drives the story with not just the actions and, and, and what goes on as you follow the lead character, but it's the expressions on the kids and the way all these subtle nuances that she creates and she, the, the first thing I asked for, I asked for two things when a boy like you came out. And I think these got, you can remind me, Kayla, remind Matthew and let Matthew know. Um, I asked the editor, Sarah Rocket, who's phenomenal, to make sure of two things. That there's a lot of diversity and that the lead character wasn't a white boy. And because we know the numbers about how many kids or main characters in books are, are you know, are uh, not brown skinned. So, um, and then the other thing was to have a, a little homage to a, a player that I coach, Seamus Digney. He had died tragically in a car accident um, before this book came out. And 
I asked for um, the illustrator, and it wasn't even Kale at the time. We didn't know who it would be to paint a picture of a basketball scene, and the player was wearing number 89, and, and Kayla did that. So those are the only two things I asked for. And as it went on, and I kept getting sketches, I'm like, and, I, and I knew Kayla was going to be great because I studied her art when they picked her. And there's so many things I wanted to ask for, but I didn't because I don't want to get in the way of the illustrator or seem too pushy. I'll give you an example on the cover of A Boy Like You. I hadn't asked for this, but I wanted someone with a limb difference in the book, but I didn't ask. And then I remember I was sitting at a Sixers game with my dad and my sons and I got a digital, you know, email of the cover. And I'm like, wow, she did it without me even asking for it. Because there, there's a boy, if you ever noticed Matthew on the cover with a limb difference, he's got a right. prosthetic arm. So um, I just wanted to get that in. Sorry, I'm sort of random and going all over the place. But I, if it, it's the it's the whole team, the, the editing team and art direction team at Sleeping Bear and having my wife with a girl like you. It just wouldn't be what it is without without her touch and without Kayla's touch. Kayla, can you talk about how, if if any way, making a girl like you was different from your process for a boy like you? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, kind of no, I guess. I mean, yes, because the subject matter was different. We were trying to enforce, you know, different traits and messages, but it's it's basically the same. I just want to try and make all kids feel welcome when they look at these illustrations. And I also um, maybe thought about this more in a girl like you, just because I was a little bit more experienced, but I want the illustrations in these books to be conversation starters. Like I want people to see themselves in the books, but also to see things that are unfamiliar to them. So like maybe a child will see the, sleepover illustration and ask like what's that thing on that girl's head and then the adult reading with them can explain what cochlear implants are and then you know when they see these situations in out in the world they'll be more comfortable and familiar to them the um for me kayla one of the most affecting images from either book that you give uh is just part way into a girl like you when the text reads, and maybe this will bring it to you, and if not, I'll describe your illustration as well. When a friend is hurting, ask what they need. You might give advice. You might just listen. Sometimes they'll simply need you to be by their side. And you have this main character that we follow throughout the book with her arm around another child and a, a photo in the background of, of that child with her pet. Um, and it's 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 framed to be indicating uh, that she's lost this pet and it's, it's a quiet moment and feels tonally like it's asking us to slow down. Much of the text feels like it's slowing us down, but on that composition in particular with the hues of blue that you used with the, the use of shadow and just the, the posturing of, of the children, that was really affecting for me. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I felt that one. The year before, I just lost my dog, who was only six years old. She has oh. some sort of bone cancer. So, I'm sorry, yeah, Kayla. I mean, when I thought, like, oh, it's, it's okay. It, yeah, I mean, it's rough, but um, being able to help other children identify and get through a situation like that, it makes me feel like, well, I have this opportunity, and this is close to my heart. And when I hear someone you know, going through a rough time. That was a rough time I went through. So 
there's got to be kids out there that could benefit from seeing that illustration and seeing like oh the calmness and just like yes just listen that's all you can do i want to bring up something with you both that we talked about a little bit in the beginning just watching our time too i want to make sure we don't leave without being able to talk about this and and frank i think you can talk about it from your perspective absolutely as a writer but kayla you will also absolutely have perspective as an artist i'd like to know what the experience is like for you to create this space in these books and to do it in a way that respects and honors these children and different backgrounds that these children are coming from that that uh, sound like largely do differ from how you both were raised or your experiences, but also doesn't um, doesn't sort of just try to, I don't know, the word's not to tokenize, but doesn't just try to be like, and look, we also have a kid with a wheelchair. And look, we also have this. It There is, let me talk frankly to you and the audience, there is a trend in children's books, perhaps because of the push of the We Need Diverse Books movement, that some folks, I think, are sort of prescriptively drawing diversity into their stories, uh, checking boxes, trying to um, trying to sort of have this, I don't know, performative allyship or something. And I think you can tell when you read books like that. And the reason I'm calling it out that way is because when I read your book, I don't get that. I get that there's care. I know that you both... Um, identify as white. I know that you are coming into this at the same time trying to be representative of of real classes and of real kids around the country. Your the way you drew these kids look just like the classes of children that I taught in Howard County, Maryland, um, where I am, where I teach. That feels true to me. And I know that this book in other parts of the country might feel different. I get that. That's not lost on me. But still, the care to balance and as, this is a loaded word, but as as authentically as you can portray an inclusive world, an inclusive environment for these children was done effectively in your stories. And I know that that doesn't happen accidentally. So if you feel comfortable sharing, Frank and Kayla, could you talk a little bit about just introspectively what that process was like for you to to balance care and respect and representation as you were doing these works? I'll let Kayla go first if she wants. She, it's really her illustrations that sort of bring all that diversity to life. I, I do think, and Kayla and I have talked about it, and she's given me this, I guess it's a compliment, I think it is, um, and all my co-authors too, her a lot of space. I try to write these um, in a way that it gives her a lot of space to be creative and imagine, um, you know, like she just talked about losing her pet, you know, a yeah. few years ago. And I didn't imagine those lines being about a kid losing a pet. It, it could be that, but I didn't imagine it. And I, I try to not always write the lines with, oh, it should be this way or that way. So I wouldn't, wouldn't want to get in the way. So I hope that the text leaves her a lot of space. That's what I think happens. Um, 
But yeah. go ahead, Kayla. Kayla, Sorry. we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, thank you, Matthew, for saying that because um, that was my hope. Like, I'm so glad that it doesn't feel um, phony and forced to you because I feel like I am a person who just wants to sit in the corner and listen and watch and observe. I don't need to like be participating in the center of attention. So I feel like that's what I spent my whole life doing is just watching and trying to appreciate details. So I hope that I'm carefully observing people and representing their unique qualities in a respectful way. And, um, lost my train of thought. I think that you have, I wonder in, I know I'm not trying to, I don't want to reduce this Ooh, to I something, but uh, let me just quickly say then that, that the way, the way that you continue to think about and include children here and draw out from that manuscript, Kayla, um, feels much like the way earlier in this conversation and also off recording um, when you shared that beautiful story of you being in front of children for just a short amount of time. And in that, I could hear how much you really cared about making sure every child in that space felt valued. I feel like you bring those same sensibilities into your work. So kudos to those that helped raise you or put thumbprints on you as you were growing up. But but please, <laughs> I, I would love to hear you finish your thought. Go ahead. Okay, so I do remember. I was thinking... Um, the Own Voices movement is so important, and I absolutely agree with that. So when I am drawing this diverse cast of characters, and I want to, like, inclusivity is very important to me, but I do know that I'm white. So I sort of, like, frame this in my head that these are all American kids, and I live in America. I've seen, like, this is my world, too. Like, these are... I see crowds of people on the streets that look like this. And like, this is, this is my world that if I'm quiet and careful and observant, then I can try my best to accurately represent the beautiful diversity that I see every day. And um, a, yeah, like a huge um, kudos to Frank for giving this beautiful text to work with. It was really the, the text that was inspiring for these images. Frank, you know what, Caleb? I'm sorry, Matthew. I was going to say, Frank, your text is open, but also you did say earlier about uh, emphasizing some values to the publisher as these books were moving forward, which I think is important for for writers to do. As much as we're told to leave space in the manuscript, we also need to make sure we advocate for representation in the places that, that you know, it's, this book will bear your name. It's important that as best it can, it can bear your values as well. Absolutely. Yep. Yes. Yeah, so this book says the title is a boy like you and the, the text in it is so inclusive and talking to each individual child, telling them that you are unique and special and valuable. And so it was my job as an illustrator to show that in the illustrations that every oh, yeah. single kid is valuable. So that's, you know, where the diversity comes in. Like it has to be authentic. It's not just, is not just the here's the token wheelchair kid, here's the token whatever. It's like, no, this particular kid with all of these unique traits and and features, you are valuable. The world needs a boy exactly like you and you and you. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's where um, 
I thought it was so important that like you, a child needs to look at these illustrations and see themselves yeah. no matter what they're. And, and the text, so if we think back, Matthew, too, that we talked earlier off, off, off uh, recording here about when we first met and how you helped me with the manuscript, the whole key thrust of that manuscript that I had written is surfaces in the in a boy like you on the spread where she's in um, Caleb painted a beautiful scene, which is actually Madison Square Park, where she would sit and see all these different people in New York City. Um, that's how she, I think, right? Is that what you said, Kayla? Madison Square Park. Yeah, Madison Square Park. Yeah. yeah. So, and it says, ask people to tell your stories, then listen, listen hard. Stories connect all of us. They're a part of what makes us who we are. Don't forget to tell your own story too. That was where this sort of started for me with that prior manuscript, Matthew. And then it again. The genesis that was the genesis and then it evolved into this so um yeah it's i kayla must have had amazing experiences in her life and i think living in new york must have helped you kayla see it's a lot it looks a lot different than being in st paul i think or minneapolis uh, um not that there's yeah. not diversity there too but um in new york it's the boy oh boy it's probably the most diverse place in the world so i think that probably helped a lot me personally just teaching all the different kinds of kids I've taught and really my coaching career Matthew was big too because my son grew up playing basketball for years and I coached him at a really high level and he played um, on many diverse basketball teams so I spent a lot of time with young men from the age of like seventh, sixth and seventh grade on till seniors in high school who've gone on and played in the NBA so guys who mm -hmm. just it was you know imagine coaching and teaching NBA players well that's who I was dealing with and you know these are strong athletic guys who were six foot eight six foot nine way taller i'm six two but they're way bigger than me and they came from different places that i came from and i learned a lot working with those young men for years and it's another reason i wanted to um write a boy like you it and really, you know what i was to say it really sounds like both of you are emphasizing listening and yeah. and looking and observing with real eyes not through a lens but but really observing what is real and what's in front of you or even questioning is is where i am in this country in this school in this whatever is where i am representative of the whole and if it's yes. not how do mm -hmm. i make it how do i make it representative like you emphasized kayla that it's a boy like you who is you and who are you leaving out if you limit your scope Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love listening to yeah, you talk, Matthew. Absolutely. You are the best at unpacking these things and bringing new, shedding new light on on our words and our pictures. I love it. I'm grateful to you both for making space in these books for us to see new things when we revisit, for us to go slow with the text, for us to, as a teacher, for me to feel the words resonate in me as I feel my emotions go out into my readers, into my class. That's a really special thing to give to someone, and you both do it beautifully. And I look forward to uh, whatever other things you, you, you have in the works together and separately. Um, you got some good ones brewing. You're going to cool. love them. We can tell uh, you about them if you want real quick. <laughs> sure. You want to share? Go ahead. Yeah. So a teacher, like you, a teacher Like You comes out in March. I co-wrote that with Barbara Dan, who is a colleague of mine. She's a primary teacher. She, she's a second grade. She's a first generation Korean American. And she is all about what you talked about earlier, seeing the child and being seen. Um, all her experiences are going to help with that book. And actually, we're actually done it. And Kayla's already started sketching it. And then 
that's in March of 2021. And then later in 2021, a friend like you comes out and that speaks to what you were uh, discussing earlier about a genderless title. Yeah. Um, not that the thrust of this is about gender, but we wanted a genderless title. So we titled it a friend like you. I'm co-writing that with Charnay Gordon, who is, I think I you may know Charnay. Um, she has an Instagram platform called here. We read. I do know Charnay. I was like, I know that name. Yeah, she's ah. a power. She's another force of nature. So she, uh, she is. A this will be her first picture book. Actually, now it's going to be her second picture book. She just signed a contract with a the, the company that does a kids book about racism. She's doing yeah. a kids book about diversity. Okay. I don't know if I'm allowed to say Yay. that, but I just did. Um, so I'm really <laughs> excited for her. So a friend like you, um, and a teacher like you will both be illustrated by Kayla, which we're thrilled about. Kayla, congratulations on on more of your beautiful work being brought into the world. Are, are you working on things outside of this series that you want to share? Ooh, yes. In September, um, Fiery Night, uh, the story of a boy, his goat, and the Great Chicago Fire comes out. That's a picture book about the relationship between a boy and his pet, which I so is so close to my heart. And I'm really excited about that book. But those illustrations are unbelievably stunning. Yeah, they're amazing. <laughs> Well, we look forward to seeing those. Thank you both for joining me on this podcast. Thank you for the conversation. And thank you for bringing yourselves into it. I really appreciate all that you shared. Thank you. Oh, thank you. This was wonderful. Frank, I'll turn to you first uh, to close our time together and to think about our readers. Um, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Frank, is there a message that I can bring to them from you? I have three real quick. They're really important messages, um, and they're echoed in, this, in these stories, a boy like you and a girl like you. Um, the first, and I was gifted this quote from Paige Britt. I think you probably know Paige. She wrote uh, the picture book, Why Am I Me? It was yeah. illustrated by Selena Alco and Sean Paul. It's one of my all-time favorite picture books. It's this, that certainty creates labels, but curiosity creates space, space for empathy and connection in our hearts and our minds to delight in other people's differences and hopefully create dialogue. The second is to lead with kindness. This is the strongest strong there is. And the last one is the most important message for me in a boy like you. And it's um, this, that you, that you be the you that makes you feel most alive. It won't always be easy, but it's the only path to take. But to be the you that makes you feel most alive each and every day. Thank you. Kayla, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Yes, and I'm glad we got to talk about this in more depth during our chat, um, because my advice is be observant. Watch closely and listen carefully. There are so many beautiful details in the world if you're paying attention. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 600 episodes at matthewcwinner.com. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the free music archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and don't reflect the ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Become a patron, and you can directly impact and help to sustain the podcast. Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that is a very good thing indeed. 
We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cosy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.